You're listening to the Debut Collective Podcast. I'm Safina. And I'm Erin. We're the co-founders of the Debut Collective. We're having real conversations about what it means to be a working mom in the world today. We're sharing new ideas, perspectives, and stories that matter because moms matter. And maybe, just maybe, this will make our collective journey a little bit easier and a lot more fun. Welcome to part two of our conversation with Christina Sacafio, an inclusion and diversity expert and the founder of Boldly Inclusive. At Boldly, Christina works with clients who want to take the next step beyond diverse representation to create innovative and inclusive spaces that meaningfully embrace diverse experiences and build effective and resilient organizations. We are continuing our conversation about inclusion. And if you haven't heard part one, go back and check it out. In this episode, we look at why women are leaving the workforce, how we were further impacted during the pandemic, and what each of us can do to change that trend. Here's part two. Let's dive right in. According to the World Economic Forum, the last two years have delayed the progress on gender equality by another 36 years. And having experienced it, I think we all could see it as we were in it. The pandemic was impacting women disproportionately. Countless studies show that more diverse teams drive innovation, performance, and profitability. So what are the mechanisms that can help organizations and their leaders realize the value that women bring to the table and help them stay in the workforce? So I think the very first thing that we need to do is is label what this dynamic actually is. And I think that it's a situation of feeling excluded, right? So women are leaving the workplace because they don't necessarily feel included in the organizations that they're in. Um, And so when we think about it from that perspective, we can come back to those fundamentals around inclusion and think about those four indicators, right? So if we're thinking about, um, you know, fairness, organizations should be looking at their pay equity, For example, they should be looking at access to opportunities for advancement, um, identifying and addressing gaps where they surface, right? When we're thinking about it from the perspective of respect, organizations should be looking at if people are treated well and with dignity, right? Can the same be said for women? Um, Can the same be said for mothers, right, Um, as well? Because I think that when we think about respect, we think about the overarching, yeah, everyone feels pretty good, but we don't often think about those uh, different experiences that everyone has as well. So we want to be very intentional about that. So when we think about it, we break it down, um, you know, going on and and so forth. When we think about belonging, thinking about feeling safe and welcomed, you know, valued, feeling seen and heard and those different pieces. Right. All of that, I think if we if we think about that very carefully, we can start to come up with ideas that touch on those four indicators of inclusion. Right. And allow us to, uh, you know, do so in ways that are sustainable and are lasting and will show women um, that they that they truly and meaningfully do belong and are and should be or should feel included within their organizations. Um, I think that there's a bigger picture, though, um, even beyond that. And I think before we even start to think about those pieces, um, I think there's something to be said about organizations making a very clear commitment to inclusion and voicing that inclu- that that commitment as well. But I think that if we are clear about our value, right, we can then hold our teams accountable to these standards, Right. And if we're able to do that, we can then ensure that women have those positive experiences where they can feel that they belong here. Otherwise, the challenge is that they're going to continue to leave. Right. So we want to be really thoughtful about how do we, um, you know, touch on those different um, those different indicators and ensure that, you know, women do feel meaningfully included. 
but also that the organization is following through as well. And so much about that sounds like it involves education on so many different levels throughout the organization. Yeah, absolutely. It does. Um, You know, I think even as we think about education, I think we're starting to think about that a little bit differently, too. I know with uh, with SF World Inclusive, the the shift has been more towards, um, you know, a quote unquote, so what and what (laughs) approach to training. Right. So we provide those basic building blocks, right, those foundational pieces to establish a shared understanding of what we're trying to achieve and what we're talking about. But now we want to think about what does this look like in terms of your work? When we think about in the context of your organization, how do these things show up? What is your specific role as an ally, right, in addressing, you know, and resolving these different issues as well? So it's a very different conversation we're having around um, around learning. It's about best practices, but also kind of the day-to-day pieces of the work and also supplemented, um, you know, supplemented by coaching as well. It's this, this so what and what. I think that that's a powerful distinction to make. Um, and I guess to that end, what about allyship? Who besides women and mother themselves can help shift the landscape so that we can create a more equitable future? And what makes a good ally? Mm-hmm. So I think first things first is that we need to make sure that men are involved in uh, this conversation, right, that they're that they're engaged. Um, I think that it can be challenging sometimes because obviously they don't have the lived experience in the same way that women do. Um, but it's very crucial for us to build both that awareness and that empathy. Um, and when I say empathy, what I'm thinking about is a little bit more than, uh, you know, just the perspective taking piece and a little bit more than the emotional connection. What we want to think about is being moved to action as well. Right. So when we consider that that really basic role of the ally, then um, what we want to see is we want to see somebody who is working to use their power and their privilege right, to address disparities, to address discrimination faced by different um, you know, marginalized communities. And I think when we think about what makes a good ally, then just to kind of break that down a little further, what we're thinking about is action and change right? A commitment to action and change, but we're also thinking about it in terms of sharing our power, right? So that that work cannot be done without power and privilege. We're also thinking about it in terms of that learning and unlearning around the things that we take for granted and how they impact different people differently as well. What we want to think about in terms of allyship essentially is doing the work, right? So that's what we're thinking about when we're thinking about, um, you know, a good ally uh, within the context of this work. A lot of people want to be allies, but they don't quite have the tools to follow through on a regular mm-hmm. basis. I think it's really difficult. For example, men are like they don't want to speak up because they're mm-hmm. terrified to say the wrong thing. <laughs> yeah, and, and <laughs> I think that's why, um, you know, the coaching piece can be super helpful as well, because, um, you know, And going back to that idea of the so what and what, we think about the action aspect of the work, right? But the coaching element can allow us to get out of, you know, get get through some of that messiness, right? And have those conversations about my fears, about resistance that I'm dealing with, about those things that can be a little bit messier for us to chat about in ways that are safe and ways that, um, you know, are, are solutions oriented. So I think, um, you know, coaching can help with that piece of the work. 
But that said, I absolutely agree with you. I think that there's learning that needs to be done around what it looks like to be a good ally as well. Um, you know, and, and, and that I, I think is its own conversation. I think that there's that piece around the awareness, but now how do we start to uh, put it in practice? One resource that I like to share, and I'll see if I can share this with you as well. It's seven ways to be an ally in the workplace. And it's one that I often go back to, and I refer this to uh, a lot of my clients as well, because it's a very simple way of thinking about um, allyship, and it provides really great examples, really simple ones. But I think what we want to do is we want to think about allyship as a, a process of growth as well. So I often, when using this tool, will say, why don't you pick one thing that you're going to work on? this week or this month, right? Depending on the frequency of the coaching sessions, what's the one thing that you're going to be working on? We'll start on that. We'll build some comfort around flexing those muscles. And then just like we would in the gym, you move on to the next one. You move on to your second uh, level weight, right? And we move on from there. So although there might be, um, you know, some, some growth that needs to happen around this work, you don't have to answer everything at once. Ideally, you're going to be growing in your allyship as well. Oh, that makes so much sense. I love the analogy to the gym and just kind of flexing and building those muscles as we go, because we can't expect um, change to come overnight. For sure. Um, we shared a lot of stats that paint a pretty negative picture of how women today are feeling about the workplace. But at the Debut Co., we are very hopeful for a brighter future. So Christina, tell us what you think is going to help move the needle on uh, women feeling included and part of the workforce and what kind of best practices, new ways of working um, and thinking are going to make a difference? Mm -hmm. So there's four things that come to mind for me as we think about the way forward and, and in terms of hopeful practices that we want to take moving forward. One of them is something that I think is familiar to a lot of us at this point. Um, it's HR practices, right? Um, so Definitely not new, uh, but I think the pandemic has allowed us to think a little bit differently about, uh, you know, the ways of working. We're thinking a little bit differently about flex work. Um, we're thinking about remote work a little bit differently as well. We know that it can broaden inclusion, the feelings of inclusion for different groups who've been, um, you know, previously marginalized, folks living with disabilities, for example, who might be having challenges around mobility, mothers, as we said earlier. So we want to be really mindful of how we can leverage those opportunities to create HR practices that are meaningful to our employees. And I think that there's a lot more that we can consider here. We're just starting to scratch the surface. But that said, I think that we're going to continue reexamining these practices. The second thing that comes to mind for me is that we're shifting to a conversation on equity, whereas before we were looking solely at inclusion. And as we said, inclusion is really helpful for us to anchor that feeling of our, our experiences in the workplace. But equity really is how do we open the door, right, and ensure that people are coming in. So it allows us to think not just about recruitment, but around the whole employee life cycle. And it allows us to also consider what we can do at each step of the life cycle to um, ensure that we are promoting inclusion along the way. So those are the first two things that come up for me. The second piece is more around the idea of community. So I think that 
One thing we're starting to do more often is build a sense of community. The question you asked earlier about the challenges that that leaders might be facing, the sense of fear around some of this work can be addressed by creating a community around this work. And that's something that I tend to do with a lot of the organizations I work with is we'll build a community around leadership where we can have some of those safe conversations. Perhaps I'm boring a little bit from nonprofit land, but it's like peer support right? You're able to check your ego. You can start to learn from one another. You're supporting one another through difficulties. You're holding each other accountable and the like. So having a sense of community can have can take things a long way in terms of working through change around inclusion. And finally, I think the one piece that has been missing previously in a lot of these conversations is the role of uh, middle managers. And I think that that is um, a, a huge area of growth because, um, you know, for work that has traditionally been top down, or bottom up, we often end up missing the middle and the middle they're they're managing up and down. And they're also helping to drive the culture as well. Moving forward, we're going to be seeing a lot more work being done with middle managers to help to foster and sustain cultures of inclusion. So lots of really interesting stuff coming, I think, in terms of this work. It's really propelling forward in a multi-level way. Mm-hmm. I'm going to ask you, as we come to a close, can you please tell us a little bit about your story gathering project? Yes. Um, so something we're very excited about, what we're doing is we're conducting story interviews with Black women across Canada. Primarily what we've heard is that there's a lack of Black women in leadership roles and intersectionality seems to be a stumbling block for a lot of folks. People get it in theory, as we said, but they don't quite always understand how it impacts workplace experiences and opportunities. So the goal of this work through gathering these stories is A, to understand and illustrate what intersectionality looks like from these perspectives and uncover trends and and barriers that we can start to identify and work on. But the second is also to think about what the critical factors are that are essential for Black women to thrive in workplaces. So what are some of the promising practices that we're starting to see that we can start to share with others? If we were to create a secret sauce, what would that, what would be in that sauce? So we really want to start unpacking what these experiences look like, what works so that we can start to replicate those successes as well. So we're very, very much looking forward to what comes out of this work. So Christina, tell us what is the best way for people to connect with you? So you can reach me online by checking out our website, boldlyinclusive.co instead of .com, .co. Uh, You can reach me by email directly at christina at boldlyinclusive.co or at LinkedIn at Christina Secchifio. I make guest appearances on Twitter. I'm not always there, but you can also catch me at Be Even Bolder on Twitter as well. Thank you so much, Christina. I learned a lot throughout this conversation. it just goes to show that the learning is is never done. Um, so I really appreciate how you shared your insights in such a digestible and relatable way. So thank you so much. Oh, you're very welcome. It's my pleasure. Yeah, thank you so much for joining us today, Christina, and um, helping our listeners get curious about why inclusion matters to each of us as individuals, um, organizations, and as a society. Thank you so much. 